This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. We are in our Christology Christmas series, our Advent series, and each day we're going to take a different name or title of Christ and just kind of think through, well, where does this come from in the Bible? Why is it important? Why why should we care? And today we are on this, the term Son of David. Where does this come from in Scripture? And just kind of flesh that out a little bit. Well, back in Second uh, Samuel chapter 7, you know, this is after you know, David desires to build God a house. And God, through his prophet, tells David that, you know, I haven't dwelt in a house, but it's a good thing you desire. However, then God promises to, well, says that David is not the one who will build his house, but his son will. And he makes a covenant with David of his son that, again, will build his house and he will be a father to him and, and so forth. And initially you kind of think, okay, you maybe if you're just reading through the scriptures and maybe even David himself thought, you know, Solomon, you know, here's, here's a fulfillment of this promise. And yeah, immediately there's a fulfillment of that promise because Solomon does, in fact, build the physical temple. And initially, he's he's wise. He's he's the kingdom is prospering under his rule. And uh, but then, in later in life, uh, you see Solomon stray, and uh, he begins <coughs> worshiping false gods. And it's because of that that then the the kingdom of Israel is split in two uh, during the reign of his son. So God very clearly shows us right away that Solomon is not the son of David that is spoken of there by him. And uh, it God's people since then have been, were, were looking towards that son of David that would come, and that is Jesus Christ. As the Gospel of Matthew opens up, written primarily to Hebrews, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then goes through that genealogy that in our last episode, Russ, you mentioned, and just shows that connection in that line of how God preserved that line of David and brought the Christ. And even, and I'll let you guys talk after this, but uh, even as the, <laughs> no, the two we're kingdoms fine. I'm just, were... I'm gonna, gonna, see, we're just going to settle right in. I'm, I'm taking notes. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is great. Well, when the kingdom was divided in uh, uh, Rehoboam's day, as you look through the two kingdoms, Israel and Judah, uh, it's amazing how... In Israel, there's constantly a new family that's taking the throne. Somebody's murdering the king, and a new household is taking over. But in Judah, it is always the line of David. It doesn't deviate from that. It's always a successor in the line of David. And then that continues through the intertestinal period that's preserved, and Jesus comes. But there's always this expectation. There's a passage in Ezekiel 34 where Ezekiel is bringing a strong word against the shepherds of Israel, those that were supposed to be caring for and protecting and leading and guiding the people. And then in that it says, eventually, God is declaring, I will rescue my flock. 
They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Well, that's kind of an odd thing. David has been dead for centuries. How is David going to be set up as the shepherd over the flock that God is going to rescue? Um, And it's because he's really referring to the true David. David himself is just a symbol of the true David that's coming, the true son of David, the greater son of David that will eventually come, and that's Jesus Christ. Yeah, this prophetic promise of God begins to build in his people an expectation that the the coming heir of David's throne would be the Messiah. And so even as Jesus enters into his ministry and, and begins to perform miracles and, and, and teach and talk about the kingdom in Matthew 12, uh, at the sight of Jesus' miracles, it says the crowds were astounded and said, could this be the son of David. Mm-hmm. So this became synonymous with this expectation of, of salvation and the messianic uh, inauguration of God's uh, kingdom and rescue for his people. Mm-hmm. And this is why throughout his ministry, um, people would cry out, Jesus, son of David, have yep. mercy on me. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, because this expectation is that it, there is one that's coming that is a son of David, coming from the lineage of David, that was going to rescue the people. And you even see this as they're entering, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem on, on, on Palm Sunday. Yeah. That they're still crying out for the son of David. Mm-hmm. Um, and so why does all of this matter with regard to the person and work of Christ? This title, this idea. Yeah, he fulfills, well, we've talked about it a lot already, but he fulfills the promises and, and uh, prophetic occurrences of the Old Testament in his person. So he, all the, the office of king um, and all the promises of Messiah are fulfilled in Christ when he arrives. And so this title helps us understand that and connect him to those promises. Yeah, it's, it's, he is king. I mean, I think that's, that's the chief connection here. He is the promised king that is ruling over uh, all the earth. Um, when, before he ascended on high, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. And uh, that is Jesus preparing to ascend to the throne where he is sitting and he is ruling as the son of David. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Let, let's just step back for a moment. Maybe it would be helpful for the listeners if you guys just talk through a little bit on the old, whole idea of typology, mm-hmm. of, of shadow and substance, um, all of the, the different ways that how God structured um, the, new te- or the, the, the scriptures with the Old Testament pointing to the reality of what will come in the New Testament. How does this all play into that? There's a sense in which every story uh, that we read in the Old Testament is whispering the name of, of Jesus. I mean, there's a sense in which we're, it's all pointing to him. And so that when we talk about, you know, like we've mentioned, uh, David's greater son, you know, it's, it's David, but it's David's greater son that is being pointed to. Everything that we the, the the positive that we read about David is just a foreshadowing of the one that's to come, and um, you know Psalm eighty nine is is speaking about these things. It's a it's a it's about David, you know. But then it, it he's also saying, I, "I will not remove from him my steadfast love, or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant." Or alter a word that went forth from my lips. This is God talking. Once for all, I've sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. So 
David, David himself is pointing forward to the, the one who reigns eternally. In the, in the Old Testament, there are uh, people, promises, and practices that all point to the ultimate work of the Messiah that would finish. Mm-hmm. So in the temple, the temple sacrifices of blood for the atonement of sin foreshadows Christ as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. The kingly office foreshadowed Christ as the one true and final king. Mm-hmm. He fulfills that person and work. Not to put you on the spot, but Vinny, we were talking off the air after the last show when we were talking about the line of Judah, but there are things in the, Judah did some, some not so great things, but there are things that he did that foreshadow the work of Christ. Vinny, do you want to just talk through some of that? Yeah, there's a couple of places. We see that, that Judah has a deep love and affection for his brother. So when, when most of the brothers want to just murder Joseph, it's Judah who actually intercedes and convinces them to sell him into slavery instead. So on the surface, like that's not great, but he is interceding for the life of Joseph. And then later when the brothers are confronted with Joseph uh, leading Egypt and they, uh, Joseph creates this circumstance in which their younger brother, Benjamin, his life is in danger. Judah actually steps in and says, I will exchange my life for Benjamin's. I, I, I will take his place. And so it, it's in those two instances where we see him foreshadow the, the work of Christ that he came to do. He, he's the one who advocates and rescues our life from judgment and from the pit of death, uh, like Judah did for Joseph. He's the one who steps in and exchanges his place for ours, like Judah did for Benjamin. And I, we just have to be careful and, and do this well, but as we spend time in the Old Testament, at least somewhere in, in our study of the text, we should be saying, what does this, how does this point to the person and work of Christ? Without negating the fact that this is real people and real history and real events, so you're holding two things in tension a little bit. Mm-hmm. The historical that's actually taking place and the redemptive storyline that's underneath of it, undergirding it. And to handle the Old Testament well, I think is where Jesus is so helpful in, in Luke 24 of saying, all of this ultimately was speaking of me, even though it was real people, real prophecy, real practices, real events that were taking place. But ultimately, it was saying something about me. Mm-hmm. So as we think about this son of David term, how does it come into play in real time and space for us personally as we live? Why is this important? Why is it significant? Why should we care? I think it's the so what question. Yeah, I think we'd cry out like the New, New Testament people did. Uh, son of David, have mercy on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can appeal to the king to have his unconditional love and, and, and grace toward us. So he, he's, he's an advocate for us. It, uh, we, when we pray, we're, we're praying to God through the name of Christ, through the King of all things who intercedes for us. So I think uh, knowing the identity of Christ as the Son of David helps us to understand we have an advocate before God the Father. Mm-hmm. And with that, too, of helping to focus our eyes upon who is actually sovereign and in control. I, mean, I think if we look out at the world around us, you know, Jesus even told us there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, nations rising up against one another. Um, and that's going to continue on until he comes. And if we get caught up in that, it can lead to a great discouragement and fear. But if we remember that Jesus is the king, he is the son of David, he is reigning, he is sovereign and ruling, then we know that we have a king who is an advocate, but we also have a king who is reigning and accomplishing his will. And also this this whole aspect of him being uh, having an eternal throne, 
Yeah. You know, as, as a reminder that even though he was coming in the flesh, uh, even though he was coming as a son of David, he's also divine. And this is something that's even pointed out, uh, you know, in, at, at Pentecost when Peter gets up to preach, you know, and he's saying, I can say with confidence uh, about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried in his tomb is with us today, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he wasn't abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and we are all witnesses. So so the whole aspect of, of talking about throne that would never be taken away, you know, that one would sit on that throne forever, is pointing to one who is both human and divine. Mm -hmm. And that's argued even by Jesus himself when he quotes Psalm 110 and asks the audience whose son son is the Christ. And he quotes Psalm 110 where it says, the Lord said to my Lord, well, it would be weird that a king's son would be his Lord and showing that the, 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 the greater person and work of Christ over David. It's interesting that Psalm 110 is actually the most quoted passage of Scripture from the Old Testament in the New Testament. It's the most quoted or alluded to passage. And that seems like, would that be anybody's choice? I've never met anybody that says Psalm 110 is my favorite passage of Scripture. But it was the favorite passage of Scripture of the Holy Spirit to to convey to the church in the New Testament to say, how do you live? You live because you have one that has been is reigning on high as the God-man, as the greater son of David. Mm-hmm. And that's where our strength comes from. That's where our hope comes from. That's where our life comes from. Yeah. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel of Life. We'll see you next time. <laughs>